If you're a guest with us, again, I just want to reiterate, thanks for joining us. As uh, Kyle and Becca have already said, there's a portion of your bulletin that tears off. You can tear that off, fill it out. Um, just drop it at the back table. I'll be back there at the end of the services. Uh, at the end of this service, excuse me, you can drop it at one of those tables. I'd love to meet you. And obviously, any prayer requests or anything, please feel free to uh, put that down as well. Uh, if you are a guest with us or hadn't been around uh, over the past four weeks, I haven't either. So I'm grateful to see you again. Uh, they were um, kind enough, church is kind enough uh, to give our family uh, four weeks sabbatical. And um, the, uh, the, the essence of it was just time to draw away. Uh, so much of what we do in ministry comes out of the soul, out of the heart. And so to, to draw away and have some time to make sure that all of that's in a good space, that's what, that's what we're after. And so I'm grateful that God allowed that and you allowed that and uh, uh, that he did some good things. I'll be telling one of the stories here uh, in a minute. Uh, Kyle was so very... Um, he was, I, I want to say thanks for, I want to say thanks in particular Kyle as well as the rest of the staff for picking up so much slack. I understand he really pushed me. That's one of the things I like about him. He's, you know, about 10 years my junior, but he really pushes me in some areas. And he was like, hey man, you're going to grow a sabbatical beard? Hey, you're going to grow a sabbatical beard? You're going to grow a sabbatical beard? And I did, and I took a selfie. I just want you to see it. There I has <laughs> got that. That's not really me. Yeah, I don't have a tattoo. I mean, right there. No, no. Uh, so, no, it's just teasing. Uh, I, I, in all seriousness, it was good to be away. And um, today we're going to kick off uh, kind of this series about um, some foundational things. And I'll explain more about the theme next week. Uh, but I just wanted to jump into the text. And so if you have your Bible in Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Psalm is the, it's the uh, Christian songbook in the middle of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can go grab one on the, on the uh, sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to do that. Um, if you have one of those Bibles in particular, we're on page 450. If you need to borrow it, you can borrow it. If you need to take it with you, it is our gift. Page 450, Psalm 8. Here we go. You ready? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. Some of you have maybe uh, ordained praise because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you've set, which you've set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So I want to just pause right there. We'll pick up the last part of the psalm. Shortly, I wanted to uh, think for a few minutes today about majesty, experiencing majesty. And most people, when they hear, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, if you've been around church at all, you probably, uh, at least in, in practice, if not necessarily in word, run to what the theologians call the three omnis. Uh, God, when we think about majesty, we run to the three omnis, omnipresent. God is everywhere all the time. There's never a place where you're going to set foot that God's not already there. And that's not because he's like out ahead of you as much as all of this stuff, every place we go is kind of contained in his realm. That's the thing. You just need to know that, that everywhere that you step foot, when you step into algebra or geometry or chemistry or English or whatever it is, uh, when you step into that meeting or that function or that thing about the contract and whether or not it's going to go through, God is already there because he, he's always there. And so when Jesus says crazy stuff like, um, and, and, and listen, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age, he's not kidding because he's always there anyway. He's omnipresent. Uh, second one, 
is omniscient, that God knows everything. And it's not because he's Google, okay? Like he doesn't, nobody has to search it. He doesn't have to like type it up and search it. Uh, He just knows it because he is omniscient. That's the beautiful part about that. He doesn't have to think about whether two and two equals four or if a train leaves Philadelphia going 60 miles an hour and a train leaves, I hated those problems. Um, But he doesn't have to think about all that. He just knows. And so omniscient. Um, he just knows. And, and, and the great thing is, it's not just facts in the world that he knows, but he also knows all the underlying things, all the emotions that go with those ideas, all the motivations that are attached to those things. He knows all of that stuff. He's omniscient. Last one is omnipotent. That God is all powerful and he is able. And I'm so grateful for this. He is able to carry out exactly what he wants to do according to his character and according to his will and wisdom. And so listen, that is a great thing. You and I have complete and utter confidence complete and utter confidence that God can do exactly what he wants done. That's a beautiful thing. Most of the time, though, when we run to those omnis, that's a real heady exercise. We, we take all of that in up here. We don't take it in down here. Okay? We, we don't uh, feel, feel it. We don't ex, uh, experience it. The psalmist, though, uh, the psalmist wants us to experience this. That's why he's singing this, singing this in a song. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. When he's talking about majesty, he's talking the way the, some of the um, other places that this word is used is translated is mighty or leader or noble. What he's talking about is this kind of um, uh, almost intimidating very impressive power that is on display. That's what majesty means. And so when we talk about majesty and experiencing his majesty, we start with verse one. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, when we talk about the name of God being majestic, what we're talking about is this. Um, that, that he is majestic in his personhood. Like if you and I were to encounter God in his personhood, as some people in the Bible did, we would have this sense of impressive and almost intimidating uh, power that is on display. And you think about uh, Moses in the tent of meeting, um, meeting God, and you think about uh, Solomon in the temple as he meets God, and you think about Isaiah as he's worshiping in the temple in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and how they, when they encountered the majesty of God, man, it was an intimidating, uh, impressive display of this unbelievable power of God. He's majestic in his personhood. Um, really, though, those, a couple of the places are actually, to, to best understand this, are actually in the New Testament. One of which um, is the story of Peter, James, and John. Uh, Jesus like, hey, boys, let's go for a walk. They go hiking up a mountain. Uh, they're standing on top of the mountain. Uh, and, and, and the deity of Jesus just starts bursting through his humanity. So, so much so that the Bible says his clothes, his clothes shone like uh, uh, white, like the sun, like nothing could ever bleach them. Think about that. I mean, just whiter than white. It just comes busting through, and, and the, the, the voice speaks, hey, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And of course, Peter does the exact opposite of what the voice says. Not unlike you and not unlike me. He starts talking. This is my beloved son. Listen to what he says. Hey, don't you think we should build something? Wouldn't that be awesome? Should we have a tabernacle for you and for Moses and for uh, Elijah up here? This is my... Shut up and listen. Listen to him. That's, we need to hear that, don't we? We need to hear that. 
uh, and this is how he described it later. This is First Peter, uh, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter one, uh, verse seventeen. He's describing this in his letter. He says, "For when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by how did he describe it? The majestic glory." It was such an overwhelming kind of um, experience. All he could say is there was just this majestic glory. The voice spoke and I talked and I should have shut up. It was majestic glory. So the apostle John, also with him up on the mountain, smart enough not to talk at that moment. Um, the apostle John is on the island of Patmos. He's worshiping in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he's singing a song. You're good. You're good. He's honking it off with the rest of them. In Christ alone, my hope is found. And he's getting to that part. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's going through all of that, right? And then behind him, something starts to rumble. And he turns around, and he's like, ooh, this guy shows up. White hair, eyes like fire, feet of bronze, sword coming out of his mouth, which is, I mean, that's weird. And this is what happened. This is what happened to John. Listen to Revelation 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John turned around. He's like, I, I, I think I'm just going to die right here. There he went. But thankfully, he laid his right hand on me, and he picked me up and said, fear, fear not. I'm grateful that God meets us, you too. God meets us in our weakness. Anybody with me on that? So, uh, he, but he just, he just fell over like he was dead because he didn't know. He experienced the majesty. And so when we talk about, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? You're talking about the person of God. And if we experience the person of God, um, we have this sense of this impressive and almost intimidating power that is on display before us, and it makes us kind of take stock here. And that's what happens when we experience him. So he continues on, because it's not just in his name that we experience the majesty of God. Look at verse 2, chapter 8, verse 2. Uh, out of the, uh, Psalm 8, verse 2. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength. Again, some of you may have ordained praise because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Uh, to be honest, it's a little, it's a little messy. The, the wording and the grammar there is a little messy. Here's, I think, basically what it means is that God builds strong defenses out of the most vulnerable people. God builds strong defenses out of the most vulnerable people. Why is that important for you and for me? Anybody vulnerable? Anybody, anybody wondering where they're going to sit tomorrow at lunch? Anybody worried about what their job's going to be like on Thursday? God builds this incredibly strong defenses out of the most vulnerable people. Now, this is also important here because, I mean, we're not talking about, uh, again, we're not just giving mental assent to something. We're talking about experiencing this. So look back up, like right, at the, right next to the eight. Do you see the, the, right next to the big eight there? It says, uh, that's the number eight. And then, to the choir master, according to the getith, whatever the heck that is. And then it says what? A psalm of, what's it say? A psalm of David. Does David know anything about God? displaying his majesty miraculously by using small things to conquer big things? A sling 
and a stone and a trash-talking giant. Is this ringing a bell with anybody? Yes. God uses vulnerable people to build strong defenses. Why? Why does, he has a tendency to use these small things to work miraculous things. We see his majesty and his miracles. Why? Because he has this tendency to use these small things to accomplish great works. Why? Because God is the one who gets glory when he does this. And that's what he wants from you and from me and from the world. He wants to get glory. Uh, and, and here's the thing on this. Again, one more time. You may look at yourself, you may take stock of your life, and you may say this. I don't think I'm particularly useful. God uses the most vulnerable to accomplish some pretty incredible things. When you and I step out, when you and I take a risk, when you and I uh, walk outside of our comfort zone, when you and I step into things that we don't necessarily love, or, or what, when, we st- when we say, okay, God, this is what you want me to do. This is what I'm going to do. I got, you know, I'm kind of like walking on the water, maybe. When I, when I step out, listen, when we see the miracles kind of unfold, that's where we see majesty. That's where we experience, not just give assent to, not just say, oh, yeah, God's pretty awesome. But we get to say, man, God is awesome. Out of little bitty things, he makes big things happen. And lastly, he's majestic. He's majestic in his creation. That's what verse 3 says. When I look at the heavens, at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set into place. He's majestic in his creation. So David, being a shepherd, he's outside at night. What's he do? He looks up. He's like, that's pretty awesome right there. Like, look at all that. Sun and moon and stars. Wow. Uh, We have so much light pollution that maybe you don't walk outside and look up and see anything. Maybe you, some of you are gardeners, right? I know that. You love your lawn. The lawn nerds, every one of you. And so you, you, don't, you don't walk outside and think it sun, moon, and stuff. You walk outside and you think plants and flowers and ladybugs, right? Still, though, the majesty of creation on display. We went to the beach. Um, we were over in... Uh, um, uh, Gulf Shores area of Alabama, where you could see your feet in the water. It was miraculous in and of itself. You know, white sand, and there was water that was clear. It wasn't quite blue. You had to get further east, but it was more expensive, so we stayed further west. You know, I get all that. It's pretty awesome. And you see waves and fish and the rays that flap around on bottom look like birds flying in the water. Just amazing. He's majestic in his creation. Some of you know Unless you've been under a rock. Uh, we got a little deal coming tomorrow. A little solar eclipse action. Uh, please, please, please buy the right glasses, okay? Like, please do that. Um, here's the thing on that, though. Let's just pretend. Tomorrow I walk outside, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be blind the rest of my life. That's fine. I'm just going to watch. I'm going to watch this thing go down. So I just glasses. I just watch this thing happen and, you know, burn the back of my retina, the whole thing. Like if you and I were to walk outside without the, and just see this go down and experience the power of that and the effect of that, that would only be a drop in the middle of a huge ocean of the majesty of God. Why? Because if the creation is that amazing and it's amazing, the creator then is that much more. He's majestic in his creation. So uh, let me just try to bring some clarity here on a couple of things. Um, 
number one, you don't, just look at our culture. I'll make more comment on this in just a moment. You, you look at our culture, right? We don't need a smaller, more understandable, more graspable God. We need a majestic God. Because we got some big, fat, hairy problems in our world. Anybody with me on that? We need a God who is much bigger than those big, fat, hairy problems. And listen, we don't need a God that we can just say, yeah, I think there's a God out there. Well, you and I need to be the people who experience this kind of God, who live with this kind of God, who own this. Deep in our bones, we own this. And, and then we, we get to go out and, and share this and live like this and, and display this, that there is a God in the universe who is beyond anything that we There is a majestic God out there. And these problems, they're problems. They ain't got nothing on majesty. We don't need a smaller God, folks. We need a big God. We need a big God. Secondly, this is not something that you and I manufacture on our own. It's something we have to receive. Okay? So you and I, we're not going to work this up inside of us. We're just going to receive this. And what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, in order to do that, you've got to put down some distractions. I've got to be honest, it took me about a week. I mean, I turned my phone off, like the whole thing. Over the, and it took me still about a week to just scrape all the stuff of life off. You got to put that, like there ought to be some time in your world where you take the things that distract you and put them in your desk drawer and close the drawer. Close it. Distractions are one of the ways that the enemy chokes out the word. That's what Jesus tells in the parable of the sower. Let's not be that kind of people. Put away those distractions. But also then, on the positive side, position yourself. Don't, don't miss this in verse 3. The very first word in verse 3, when. Not if. When. When I look at the heavens. Not if. When. Do you get the sense that David does this kind of in kind of a regular rhythm? Not just every so often, but, but when? When I go outside and I look at the heavens, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like, you did all that, God. I mean, like, you, you, you put the stars in place and you call them by name. I don't know what that star's name is. You got a name for that star right there. You do. You got a name. When I look at the heavens, the work of your hands, not if. When? You've got to position yourself. That primarily happens, church family, listen to me. It primarily happens when we open our Bibles together. And when we sit alone with God with our Bibles open and we read what he says and we talk to him about what he says. Put down distractions and then position ourselves. Put ourselves in a position uh, to receive it. That's, that's going to be true. So majestic, experiencing this majesty. The second word actually builds on that. It doesn't negate it or, or take away from it in any way. It builds on it. So pick it back up in verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set into place. And he could have said, I'm just a little speck of person on this rock, third rock from the sun. And what, no, no, what does he say? To what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The word I want to put before us this morning is mindful. Listen, he's mindful. Don't, don't miss that. As majestic and as glorious as God is, he's mindful of you and me. What does that mean? Here's what it means. He thinks about you. He thinks about you. The word here that David uses means this. 
about. It means remembering or calling something uh, to mind. It, you know, depending upon where you are in your organization and how many layers between where you are and the top of the org chart. I mean, the guy who, or the girl, whoever it is who's up here, management or vice president or senior VP or CEO or whatever, however many layers there are, you may walk into the building. They may never think about you. Listen, God thinks about you. Uh, I'm just here. I'm going to go teach. Uh, principal is probably not even going to think about me. God thinks about you. I'm one of 28 students in this class. They're never going to think about you. God thinks about you, though. He thinks about you. This is part of what it means for, us to, for him to be mindful of you. He thinks about you. So I say that because some of us think because God's got all these galaxies spinning out in the universe, doing incredible, awesome things. He's got all sorts of things to worry about, in particular in our world. What that, we think, oh, then God must be too busy for me. Just because he has galaxies spinning doesn't mean that you're not on his mind. Further, just because you're in a bad place doesn't mean you're not on his mind. Oh, man, you don't know about the place I'm living in. You're right, I don't. Brokenness always leads to bad places. Let's not be you know, shy about saying that. Here's the thing, though. Just because you're in a bad place doesn't mean you're not on God's mind. And just because you sense that there's distance between you and him, for whatever reason, you're just not on speaking terms right now. It doesn't mean you're not on his mind. He remembers you, and he calls you to mind. He thinks about you. What is man that you are mindful David in another place in Psalm 40 says it this way. Psalm 40, verse 17. Can we get that up? Psalm 40, verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy. Anybody signing on to that right there? But the Lord takes thought of me. The Lord takes thought. As I'm poor and needy, broken, messed up, crazy world, but the Lord takes thought of me. Second thing he says is that he cares about you. At the end of verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He cares about you. The word that, again, David uses is to, to, to hunt up or to seek out and to take care of. In other words, his calling to mind of you and me sparks such a longing in him that he seeks us out and then he lavishes care upon us. And it's interesting to me that the humility that David is displaying here and the care that God has uh, for David in the midst of this, man, th those two things often combine, humility and care, humility and care. Listen to me. God cares about you. Well, he doesn't care about me. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, you. This is true about you. And so this shows up in the New Testament in a place. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you want to flip over. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. If you uh, just want to follow along, maybe on the... Um, uh, on the Bible app or whatever, you can just track along. But listen, First Peter chapter five verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore. There's humility there. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He will exalt you. He may exalt you. And then He says in verse seven, First Peter five seven, casting all, not some, not the ones that we care about, not the ones that are socially acceptable, but all, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all of those things that that keep you up at night and that tighten your uh, gut up. Heart beat faster so that the doctor starts to worry. Casting all of your anxieties on him. Why? What's the rationale for doing that? What's the rationale for me putting all the things that I have uh, before God? What's it say? Because he does what? He cares for you. The tendency is to look down the row and go, I believe that he cares for her. Yeah, that guy over there. 
I believe that he cares. I'm not so sure he cares about me. Well, I, you know, God thinks about me. I'm just not sure I actually want to know what he thinks. And cares, I'm just looking at my situation going, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So, uh, as I said, we went to the Gulf Shores area, and um, we're out there on the beach one day, right where the waves are breaking in. I got the five-year-old in my lap, and she's talking, doing five-year-old things, and splashing, and getting hit by the wave that came in harder than we thought. And all the time, she's picking up shells that roll in. I'm just sitting, kind of, and she's sitting here, and she's just grabbing shells as they come in. They wash up, and they, I mean, they're all busted, broken. Like, uh, this is one of them, because she kept saying, here, Daddy, put this in your pocket. Here, Daddy, put this in your pocket. I mean, see that right there? See, like, looks like a turtle walking or something like this is an honest to goodness shell though I mean it just shows up and she, I could say babe this shell is broken like you get that right like it's like a jigsaw puzzle or like a Tetris piece should sit right on top of that and she's like no daddy it's pretty look look at the colors and she'd pick up another oh look at this one daddy it's pretty baby be careful that's so broken it'll cut you like why you Stick it in your pocket, Daddy. Okay, worry. off it goes, right? On and on, right? Because she's five, and this is what happens. So we're watching this waves roll in, uh, uh, and, and I'm just like, why, why do you want these shells, honey? They're broken. No, Daddy, they're beautiful. They're pretty. They're so pretty. I want to put it in your pocket, Daddy. I'm, why do you want the broken shell? Pocket, pocket, okay, friend. I'm not sure anymore it's going to fit. He'll put it in your other pocket, Daddy. Okay, baby, okay. So we're walking through this stuff, and I'm like, why do you want these? They're pretty, Daddy. They're broken, honey. No, they're pretty. Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder. I'm going, who wants this broken stuff? Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder. Hey, uh, I like broken things. I said, I'm going to go back and tell the church that. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I wrote in my little journal. I'm going to go tell the church. God likes broken things. Somewhere in the middle of the night. It's a true story. So one of the things God has been revealing over the past couple of years, and I've finally been able to put in a sentence. I, I live sometimes with this fear of disappointment. I live sometimes to not displease instead of living to please him. You with me on that? You hear that? You hear the difference in that? And so somewhere in the middle of the night, moon shining bright, waves still crashing. He doesn't tap me on the shoulder this time. Like full on finger. You ever had that moment where God just points you right in the chest? You're like, hey, I'm sleeping here. Back up. He's like, I'm not letting you. Okay, okay. And he said this. I like broken things too. And I'm like, I'm going to tell the church. I will. I promise. I wrote it down. I'm I like broken things too. All of a sudden, it starts feeling really personal. Like, God, I'm broken. That's right. That's right. Now we're getting to it here. And this is the part that undid me. Because I think those broken things are beautiful. And all I could say in that moment, I'm not this is where the sermon came from. All I could say in that moment is, who am I that you are mindful of me? And what am I doing in this bed that would warrant you to care about me? 
That's it. Some of us, we just got to have room to let that in. He thinks about you. And he cares about you. My life looks like a Tetris shell. I like broken things because I think they're beautiful. And he doesn't just leave. This is the part that I, I love. This. He doesn't just leave us there. I mean, that would be enough, right? Like I, I am free to live to please God, not to just not displease him, but I'm free to live to please God because he likes broken things. And, and he thinks they're beautiful, but it's not just that. The rest, of the, psalm is, the rest of the psalm goes like this. Verse 5, yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the work of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Listen to me. Not only does he think about us and care for us, but he also commissions us into the world. What does he commission us to do? We, as the creatures of the highest esteem, right? Verse 5, a little lower than just the heavenly beings. All the people, I mean, excuse me, all the beings that dwell with God right in this moment in heaven. We're like right there, right there. That's where we are. And the Bible says later that we're actually going to judge those people. That's how much God esteems us. He's created us. We, as the creatures of the highest esteem, we are commissioned to do good in the world as stewards to take care of things like sheep and oxen and beasts of the fields and birds. of the... We're commissioned to do good in the world. He doesn't just say, hey, listen, I like broken things because I think they're be-. He also says, and now I want you to go do good in the world. You broken, beautiful people, you go do good in the world. Just two things real quick. Doing good in the world doesn't happen if we dismiss pain. Doing doing good in the world does not happen if we dismiss pain. It doesn't mean that we let pain define what's good. Hear me. God defines what's good, but but it doesn't do good. We are not doing good if we dismiss pain. Most of the time, when we post sarcastic stuff on social media, we're being dismissive of other people's pain. This is where it shows up for me most of the time. And folks, when we say to do good means that we cannot dismiss others' pain, we don't let it define what good is, but we do not dismiss it. That has to apply to how we respond to things like Charlottesville. I don't know how much hubbub there was. I don't know how much of a boop there was in your life when all that went down. I sat heartbroken. Maybe it's because I had more time to think. I sat heartbroken over that. And I sat heartbroken over some of the responses that showed up on social media. We as a church, I just feel like we need to say these things. Here's one thing we need to say. Uh, White supremacy is evil, period. No but, no and, no but what abouts. No, 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 period. Let's just be done. It's evil. I I just want to, like, Jesus was a dark-skinned man who got crucified by Europeans, Okay. Okay? All right. It's evil. 
Secondly, the problems that we're facing are spiritual problems, not political problems. Therefore, we need what? Spiritual solutions, not political solutions. So who then do, who's the hope of the world? Jesus says, where does he reside right now? In his people. Guess what? That's you and me, yo. We get the opportunity. We get the opportunity to be agents of reconciliation in the world. We get to be the opportunity to speak clearly to things that need to be said. We get the opportunity to not dismiss pain, but instead to say, hey, listen, I, I, I hear you here. I hear that these are hard things. I hear that these are tough things. I hear that, and I'm not going to just set that to the side or, or yeah, but you, or whatever. I, I, just want to, I just want you to know you're heard here. We do good in the world when, um, when we don't dis, dis, dismiss pain, but we also do good. The positive side of that is that we do good when we embrace stewardship. And again, just quickly, verse 5, yet you, God, God has made us a little lower than the angels, than the uh, heavenly beings. God is the one who's crowned us with glory and honor. Verse 6, God is the one who's given us dominion over the works of God's hands, like the works that God put together, he's given us dominion of. Um, uh, uh, God is the one who's put all things under our feet, like sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, and so forth and so on. So what does that practically look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked, and I promise I'm done. I'm coming down here on this step because I, I'm trying to, I want you to hear me. And I want, you to, I want you to, again, let's make room for this. This is, I'm not sure this showed up in the notes anywhere. This is Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I'm not sure it's on the app either, but just listen. Ephesians 4, verse 29 through 32. Let no corrupting talk or typing. I know it says that in there. I just, I know, come out of your mouths or keyboards. So let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. That it may give, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You want to know what not dismissing pain and being a good steward looks like? That's part of what it looks like. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by, um, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he goes on, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He finishes. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, not dismissive of pain, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now, if we were smart, we'd put that on a post-it note and stick it on our computer screen and on our mirror and maybe on our refrigerator and probably right over our speedometer in our car. We don't bother with the speedometer anyway, right? Who cares about what the speedometer says? Right over the speedometer. So that we respond and parent and provide for our family and drive with that sense of stewardship, not dismissive of pain, but stewarding the things that God's given us to do. Folks, we get to do good in the world. Is there a world that needs people to do good in? God, is there a world? Let me ask you, 
Are we really counting on government policies to fix the stuff that's broken right now? Then let's get about doing the things that God said for us to do. Let's pray.